Customers are rushing to your store. Do you have a point of sale system you can trust or is it a mm, real POS? You need Shopify for retail. Shopify POS is your command center for your retail store. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify has everything you need to sell in person. With Shopify, you get a powerhouse selling partner that effortlessly unites your in-person and online sales into the one source of truth. Track every sale across your business in one place and know exactly what's in stock. Connect with customers in line and online. Shopify helps you drive store traffic with plug and play tools built for marketing campaigns from TikTok to Instagram and beyond. Get hardware that fits your business. Take payments by smartphone, transform your tablet into a point of sale system, or use Shopify's POS Go mobile device for a battle-tested solution. Plus, Shopify's award-winning help is there to support your success every step of the way. Do retail right with Shopify. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash theathletic, all lowercase. Go to shopify.com slash theathletic to take your retail business to the next level today. Shopify.com slash theathletic. The Athletic. Hello everybody and welcome once again to The View from the Lane, the award-winning Tottenham Hotspur podcast from The Athletic. Uh, joining me, your host Danny Kelly, are The Athletic's Charlie Eccleshare, uh, James Moore, and a return uh, to the fold of Jack Pitt Brook. Uh, good morning, good up, welcome everybody. Uh, on today's episode, we look ahead to that huge clash against our bogey team Chelsea as the man in the hoodie, as he now seems to be known on this podcast, returns to his old club. We'll also hear part of an exclusive interview with former Chief Scout Spurs Leonardo uh, Gabonini. Uh, this comes uh, as the club close in on his replacement. A whole lot of change, a whole raft of changes in the sort of recruitment department. We'll hear about those in a second. But first, I must say, obviously, hello, Charlie. Hello, James. But welcome back, Jack. Um, those of you who don't know that Jack's, Jack is on paternity leave, which is great, which means, Jack, um, that you haven't been keeping, I suppose, a laser eye on what's been going on. What do you feel about how it's going so far this season? And are you missing us all? Hey, Danny, it's great to be back um, for today. I am, I am missing you all. I'm missing the podcast. I think I miss the podcast more than all, along with going to games. I miss the podcast more than almost anything else. Um, and yeah, it's kind of amazing. Like I've watched, I've watched, you know, I've watched Spurs when they're on TV, but I haven't, I haven't watched every game. And I, you know, reading. I've been listening to this podcast a fair bit. I read what we put out about Spurs. I say I listen to more than fifty percent of the episodes in the last few months. That's okay, isn't it? Do you mean in terms of the number of episodes or the amount of each episode that you listen? No, to? No, generally, if I listen, I, I get to the end. Oh, of course you do, because they're captivating, aren't they? Oh, yeah. Once yeah. you start, that's the risk. You're wary if you do start. You know, you you know, Rita will be crying, and it's like, no, shut exactly, up. I'm yeah. listening to the podcast. He just closes closes the door to the nursery very quietly to get <laughs> to get to the end of the podcast. <laughs> I've spoken Charlie like one who knows, by the way. Well, exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I was giving Jack tips on how to multitask. <laughs> but it's kind of it's kind of amazing just from afar watching watching Spurs be this good. So when, if I try and think about it, like I think I certainly expected that 
Postacoglu would come in and completely transform the vibes. And, you know, we talked about this when, when he got the job. You know, he's such an impressive figure. He's such a great talker. Uh, we did, clearly Tottenham wanted him to bring in this kind of cultural reset, this, you know, to sort of change the ethos, rallying with this new figure to rally around. And that's what he's done. And that's, that, that's what they got him in to do. What I didn't expect at all is for him to improve the football that, that this quickly. You know, my expectation was that this would be a difficult season, adjusting to a new style of play. I thought the squad was thin, particularly in, you know, particularly at centre back and in terms of goal scoring. And I just, I just thought too much change. It would be, you know, we always, we compare it to the arrival of Pochettino in 2014. I thought, you know, the 14-15 season was really tough. Like it was really bad for the first, it was pretty bad for the first like four months of the season. And I, I, I had no expectation whatsoever that he would come in and Tottenham would be very good almost instantly. And they would pick up his football quickly. Uh, and, you know, we knew that Madison would come in and be very good. I had no expectations that Vicario and Van der Ven would come in and be very good from day one, which is what's happened. Uh, plus, of course, Udogi, I didn't really know how quickly he would adjust, but he's adjusted very fast. So that's really taken me by surprise a bit. And I'm really looking forward to getting to watch this team because it's amazing. Watch them play on TV. You think, I can't believe I'm seeing a Tottenham team keeping the ball in the opponent's half. They haven't done this for like five years or like a Tottenham team continually trying to create chances. A Tottenham team that has the ball in the opposition's penalty area with like five or six guys joining the attack. Because for the last, you know, five, we've done roughly a million episodes on exactly this. For like the last like five years at Tottenham, it's been, you know, the team camps in their own penalty area and then Kane and Son are kind of lurking around the halfway line. And they're just about good enough to make something happen. So yeah, very, very different and uh, very, very much looking forward to, to watching it up close. Just to answer the, literally, I've got about, um, I counted them, uh, two and a half million messages. When will you be back with us? Uh, so I'll be back fully straight after Christmas. A, a, a New Year's, a New Year's um, a present for us all. Good, good stuff. James, what happened to Kingstonian last night? Oh dear. Yeah, <laughs> I... Uh... Right, okay. So Kingstonian were dumped unceremoniously out of the FA Trophy by Whitehawk 4-0 at home. Did you get along? And I, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I uh, kind of gave in to something I'd resisted for a long time, which is buying a Kingstonian scarf. And the, the reason I had kind of not done that up to now is because it's red and white. Oh. And it, it kind of felt like that was kind of at odds with my entire belief system, yeah. really. But it was quite cold, and I thought I'd buy one, you know, to support the supporters club. And then I was wearing this red and white scarf back on the tram back to Wimbledon, and got to Wimbledon, and it was just completely full of Chelsea fans who had been like turfed out of Stamford Bridge from their League Cup game. So I was suddenly at Wimbledon with this red and white scarf on, thinking they're all going to think I'm an Arsenal fan, and I can't just be like, "Don't worry, actually, I'm a Spurs fan." Yeah, that ain't going to work, is it? Incredible. So I was like zipped up. It was not often that I'd be kind of yeah, zip the jacket up over and just hide everything, to hide everything completely. But uh, that felt like a moment to do that. Charlie, um, we you've done the mailbag in the Athletic about Spurs this week. I mean, a, a very rich uh, vein for anyone to mine if they're interested in Spurs. The, the stuff that really uh, caught my eye is talking about the seemingly endless changes. That's what we'll discuss next in the recruitment part of the club. Once uh, once Scott Munn had settled in, um, and we seem to be. Am I right? There's going to be a third, possibly a third person coming from Aston Villa very soon. Yeah, Villa's the new feeder club. Okay, well, can you exp explain to us then about um, Johan Langer, 
Um, Rob McKenzie, and who is the third man? Uh, Frederick Leth, I hope I pronounced that right, who's this wonder kid uh, who was at Copenhagen. So that's where Langer knew him. Langer then brought him to Villa. Um, and then the expectation is that he's also going to follow him to Spurs. And when I did the piece on um, on Langer, speaking to people who know him, mentioned Leth and said, look out for him because they are very close. He's sort of his protege. Uh, he's very, in his 20s, I understand, yeah? Yeah, he's in his, yeah, he, he's, um, he's in his late 20s. And has been, you know, has been involved in football for for a good number of years. You know, prodigiously gifted, spotter of young talent, very data driven, like Langer. So it's an interesting, assuming it happens, it's an interesting appointment. I mean, his title at Villa is director of research, uh, which you know I'm sure some proper football men will be scoffing at. Um, but yeah, he, you know, his skill is in identifying young players, and that's something Langer is good at too, and focuses on. So it sounds like the kind of people. You know that we think Spurs should have, given that signing young players when they're not kind of crazily priced is generally seen as the way to go for them. And then there's and then yeah, the third man is Rob McKenzie, who some Spurs fans may remember was at the club for a year in the Pochettino, Paul Mitchell kind of time, 2015 to 2016. Very well thought of. Uh, he's had spells at Leicester as well, Derby, I think, and has uh, comes from Villa as well, and that's where he knows Langer. Um, so yeah, Langer really making his mark, building his team. Uh, he officially started work yesterday. I would say on Villa that the view is that like Langer, there were some hits, there were some misses. If, if you're you know if you're going on that, I, I don't think uh, it was a kind you know which tends to be the way. But yeah, he's definitely got some some good pedigree, some good names there. And we mentioned that we were talking about best windows Spurs have had, and I mentioned that fifty that summer fifteen window, which was when he was there. Because that what that now looks like an absolutely inspired uh, few months. The golden age of Tottenham recruitment, really. Yeah. The kind of Paul Mitchell era. If you look at how patchy the recruitment's been for such a long time, because it's so difficult for Tottenham to recruit, isn't it? Because you're the team. The expectations are that the club will, you know, will be in the top four, and that yet yeah, the money that they spend is always going to be put them around sixth or seventh. But that was really the one time I think, and you could maybe make a case that some of the best Paratici deals did this as well, that they managed to get the quality of players that they needed to push the team forward on a sort of three to five year view as while also coming within the financial restrictions of the club, particularly, you know, pre back in the old White Hart Lane. Just on that kind of mixed transfer record at Villa, I think if you have big successes, surely you kind of have to accept that there will be some misses as well. And even in that sort of 15, 16 golden period that Dutch just mentioned at Spurs. Don't slag off Kevin Vimmer, mate. I, well, I mean, I was just going to say, you know, Charlie spoke to Kevin women over the over the uh, international break, uh, and you know, he was a hit and miss maybe within himself, if we're being generous. But like what, Clinton and G was he that summer as well, and Kudu was maybe what twenty sixteen maybe. I always thought and G was good. This is my thing. Like this, this used to be my thing on Twitter, like five or six. We've years not got ago. time for this now. Thanks for coming back, but... And Kudu, I, I never really saw it with Kudu, but I actually thought Ngi could have been a good player. Do you not remember that derby against against Pellegrini City? But also, J- James, you're ignoring uh, Don Fabio, who, who uh, you know, always hits. All hits, no misses. Brian, Brian Hill aside. Well, uh, but interestingly, I mean, uh, Charlie, that's the thing, you know, we've got Scott Munn, then you've got the Aston Villa gang, um, and lurking somewhere in the in the um not quite allowed to be fully employed shadows and I shouldn't be laughing about this um is Paratici. I mean when the, when the, when the gang all arrive on the uh, on the train from the west midlands um will he then fade like some kind of phantom into the into the 
hit the mists of history? I'd be very surprised if they stopped using his consultancy. I mean, why would they? You know, he's been very valuable to them. He's recommended some really good players. He has good links. I mean, even recently, you think of someone like Vicario, who that was someone he was uh, interested in while managing director of football, and then they got over the line um, once he'd gone in the summer. Feliz was a deal he was involved in, and obviously we don't know yet how good he'll be, but that you know, internally they're really pleased with that deal. So it's an interesting one, yeah, because you'd think that Langer will want, you know... <laughs> will want autonomy, but I, I, I think the way Paratici's thought of, I'd be surprised if they stopped reaching out to him. Levy always has views on what the football side of the club should be doing. You know, everyone's known this for a very long time. And he he really he Daniel Levy really trusts the people that he trusts. Like he there's not a lot of people that Daniel Levy takes advice from, I don't think, but the people he does take advice from he really likes. And clearly Paratici is someone who Daniel Levy really trusts. Um, you know, that that's been very evident. Look how much they stuck with him. Exactly, yeah. The fact that, like, firstly, there was the sticking with him after he was initially banned, or banned by Italy, then the ban was extended by FIFA, and Tottenham took as much time as they possibly could have done, I think, before Paratici stepped down. And then there was that time where we now know Daniel Levy was speaking to Paratici, and Paratici was advising Tottenham, and this was not... This was not a breach of the ban that he had been given. And in that time, he would speak to, he would speak about, you know, potential managerial candidates. He would speak about potential signings. And his his advice has been, has been very useful to the club. And whatever you might think about whether it, it is good or looks good for Paratici to continue to have this advisory role, he has done a lot of good for Tottenham. Like there's no, you know, he got what Romero for forty two million pounds, Kulusevski for what thirty ish, Charlie Benton yep. yeah, yeah. for Benton ba- for basically nothing, given how good he is. Even though the, those three players between them, like, and this is from the, the sort of first phase of the Paratici era, that's like two hundred million pounds worth of players, and they got them for what half of that, roughly, I think. Um, so I can I can totally understand why his advice is still thought to be useful okay listen and when well thank you for mentioning uh, alejo veliz who of course got his first goal this week in a spurs shirt in a defeat for the under 21s at peterborough he scored with a, a neat header from across by jamie donnelly and celebrated in a style that suggested what the hell am i doing playing with the under 21s uh he didn't seem overly excited um with his first goal for the club so he put him on more strongly than that so it is possible, as we say, that there could be um, the three people arriving from Aston Villa. One of the people they're replacing is former chief scout Leonardo Gabonini. And as interestingly, the Athletics' Adam Leventhal has had an exclusive sit-down with him. Uh, you can read the piece on the website now, actually. Here are some of the key things from that interview that we picked up. First, let's hear his impressions of Chairman Daniel Levy. That season was incredible, no? It was an up and down, incredible up and down. It wasn't easy. The, 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 the situation of the sporting director, the sporting director was banned. The, the, the coach left. We didn't change coach, which a lot of stuff that for me uh, were really, really difficult. At a certain point, uh, we changed. Daniel, he wanted to be, he wanted to change. And I, I need to say the truth. He has a lot of merits in this situation because uh, he had a clear idea. He had a clear, he studied uh, the situation. He's one of the smartest 
you know, man that I never met in my life. And uh, he wanted exactly what he, what he achieving now. He wanted he wanted something like uh, fresh air, fresh air. He wanted to make proud the fan to something more uh, uh, the style um, of play more aggressive. So he, I think he learned from the past something, and uh, he wanted to change. In that moment, he was a master. It was a master. It is interesting. It is amazing. Often, people that leave the club are like speaking such glowing terms about about Daniel Levy. More like more or less every manager. When you expect, maybe with the exception of Conte, I don't think he said anything negative. But I, I don't think he said anything especially positive either. Um, actually, he was quite negative before he left. To be fair, in the full interview, he talks a bit about how his aspirations are to have uh, like more, more of a sort of sporting director role. So he's interested in like operating at higher levels to the level he was operating at last season. Uh, and he was evidently overlooked for that at Spurs, but he's not kind of been deterred by that or uh, had his nose put out of joint by the sound of it. Yeah, Adam went on to talk to Gabonini, um about uh, Ange Postacoglu's approach to transfers. The credibility is everything when you are a coach. When you speak with him, he's able to transmit to yourself his idea. And... Uh, Everybody, it's not important the problem that you have. It's not important if you are angry or uh, upset or is able to change, to change uh, the level of your mind because uh, you want to follow him. You want to follow him. I wanted to follow him. And everybody wants to follow him. And this is amazing. To speak with that coach about the players was amazing because he's able to understand the players. So for me, it was Incredible. If in my in my past, when I spoke with someone, probably usually the, the, the coaches see they want to say I know the player, I know really well the player, but maybe they could see highlights or 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 group, or maybe uh, we we prepare a video for them. But this coach is different. This coach he has in this is 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 something similar to me. We we have a perception about the man because uh, the secret is to establish if the man is good or not. Uh, Van de Ven was the father of Van de Ven is in the army. For me, for uh, stupid things, no? Uh, between me and you, but uh, for me, a centre-back, we needed a centre-back, a, a, a real fighter. So for me, the history of the player, to know his education, to know uh, was fundamental for to say, okay, this is the player for us. And I think that for Andrea is the same. Uh, he want to know the person. He want to know the man behind the player. Lots of interesting stuff there, but but the revelation that you're picking Mickey van der Ven because his dad used to be in the Dutch army. <laughs> well, his his dad, uh, Marcel, is a big celebrity in Holland. He was an undercover agent oh, what? in a secret unit. An undercover agent in a secret unit oh, fighting well, serious I want to crime. Be a spy. As everyone who's read my Van der Ven piece will know, but yeah, he became he's become a national celebrity. He's the lead detective in the Dutch version of the game show Hunted. He's also written several books, including a best-selling autobiography last year. I mean, he is quite a scary-looking bloke. I can see uh, I can see what Leonardo's getting at there. What is Hunted? What is Hunted? People sort of pretend to go on the run, and then they have people like track them down. Exactly, and so he's the lead guy. Um, he's the lead detective getting them. Does this explain why Van der Ven's so good at like catching opposition forwards when they're throwing goal? 
Oh, I thought you were going to say this is why he's so quick, because he was always trying to, like... <laughs> I just want to escape. Yeah, we doing, like, role plays where he'd, he'd have to run away and have his phone confiscated <laughs> and stuff, because that's what happens on Hunted, isn't it? Just to dial back, Danny, don't take this the wrong way. I think you probably talk too much to be a spy. Um, listen, uh, it, it has been... It has been <laughs> you, are, you are pressing on a very, very familiar bruise there, my friend, because, of course, <laughs> this personality... I have developed to hide the fact that I am a spy. Oh, <laughs> Danny Discretion Kelly. Anyone with any espionage background, James, would have seen through that straight away. I swear to God, we can't, we can't go. We've got too much to get through, and there's too many of us on here. One day, let me talk on the, on the podcast about my uh, heartbreak that I have never been involved in espionage. And you're quite, quite right. I am, I am totally unsuited to the world of, of um, keeping a low profile, keeping a trap shut. Whatever you do, Danny, no anecdotes. Okay, yeah, got it, got it. Yeah, I, I, was, I was saying to the Minister for Security only the other day, I met him for, in a pub, you know. Um, no, I, I, I read, I know everything about espionage. I read everything that comes out about it, f- fictional and factual. And all of me wants to have been a spy. I suspect the boat the boat has sailed. Did anyone else during that get a little bit PTSD? His intonation when he said players was a little bit like Conte's It was perfect. In that final Very, Southampton yeah, press yeah, yeah. conference. I felt that when he used the word situation. I mean, it's, it's, a, it's a really good interview. If we might move on then. The latest on Tanga and Dombele. Charlie, you were answering it in the mailbag um, on The Athletic. Um, he's clearly ha- having uh, the same season. He's having his groundhog season, isn't it? He's not quite fit. He's playing very few minutes, and you were asked um, before before Jack makes an absolutely sterling defence of him um, whether or not he could be back here in January. You don't think he can? No, I've been told that there isn't that option. Uh, much as Galatasaray, I think, would like to exercise it because they've really run out of patience with him. Um, the background to this, which I wasn't so aware of, was that they they really wanted like a big name central midfielder, and, the, and Amrabat was their main target, and there were a couple of others as well. Sort of gotten Dombele as a last resort, and it really hasn't worked out. And the guy who sort of looks after the transfers really has built his reputation on bringing in some big names. I mean, Galatasaray's team is fascinating. We spoke about this. I think last week or week before, I mean, they've got so many players. You're just like, he's there, he's there. So I'd, I'd, re- I'd recommend anyone watching them. But anyway, he, the fans have really taken against him. And as I put in the piece, speaking to people in Turkey, they say the Galatasaray fans can be brutal. They, they can be extremely affectionate and love you if they think you're working hard and whatever. With him, they absolutely don't think that. And I think the manager's pretty exasperated as well, which is why he's not really getting game time. Apparently he came on against Bayern and was pretty awful uh but you know from his his point of view is that he's been carrying an injury he's working with a personal trainer and trying to get in shape i I guess the problem is a lot of people feel like they've heard this before so it's you know how many more chances do you give to him i mean the the crazy thing as well is even after this season he's still got another year left on his contract so who knows what's going to happen jack i've gone full circle now i now start to feel sorry for him because he seems to be trapped in some kind of behavioral cycle from which he cannot escape I always thought that a uh, you know a, a, a different sort of league, not England, might suit him better, and yet the re- that does not seem to be the case, sadly. So yeah, and on belief levels at an all time low, <laughs> I'm afraid. Um, I don't know what I just I don't know what sort of platform or environment would be good for him. Uh, I mean, it's not for me to tell him how to how to conduct himself, but I don't know. It seems I mean, so far too young, I think, to go 
to a, a lower level of league. But maybe if even if he can't cut it in Turkey, then maybe that is the answer. I mean, it's pretty staggering that we when he signed in 2019, that was kind of with the expectation that he'd be one of like the better players in the Premier League. He was coming into a team that just got to the Champions League final. Off the back of those amazing performances for Leon against Manchester City, yeah. Yeah, exactly. And, you know, we knew that team was breaking up, but I think there was an expectation that he'd be kind of the catalyst to, like, regenerate that team. And, uh, for, uh, and I'm sure, you know, it's the same as anything else. The reality is there's a, there's a combination of factors that have kind of led to this. But it does kind of feel like he hasn't got the desire to, like, do what's necessary to be an elite footballer. For for whatever for whatever reason, and you're right, Danny. You know, we should kind of be sympathetic because there could easily be reasons for that that we don't we don't know or understand. But it just feels like a massive shame that he he looked so good, and even in little flashes at spurts in the first two years, amazing. The goal at Sheffield United was just like a you know a brilliant finish. Like some of the best moments in that rubbish lockdown season were like the moments where he kind of threatened to like really break through. You know, the game at Old Trafford, I think he was really good as well. He was the best player, apart, apart from Kane and Son, who obviously exists on another on a, another level. He was the the next best player under Mourinho, I think. Like he kind of had a really good run. and Certainly was, in that second season. Yeah, yeah. When, he, when he got that good run of form together. Um, that was when they went top. Just before Mourinho got sacked. Yeah, he was... Um, I mean, I don't think anybody will remember anything really of the 2020-2021 season for... Because Spurs were rubbish, and of course it, the the lockdown conditions. So he could be he could be an incredible player, but he's just not. Um, and you know, look, we we don't know what's going on in Dombele's head. I certainly think, speaking generally rather than specifically, after everything that's happened with Deli Ali in the last few years, we should all we should all you know bear in mind that things happen inside footballers' heads that that we are not party to, um, and what you know. What looks like a lack of motivation could well be something else. But I was going to say exactly that, Jack. I do think we, you know we're a f- few months out from that Delhi Alley interview, and that we have no idea. Like we don't know if there's something. But all I would say is that generally, people don't like to not make the most of their talent. Like that generally doesn't come from a position of like you know what I just don't fancy this. And they've already had enough character, Charlie. They've already shown enough character to become a professional footballer. Exactly, exactly. It's probably the harder bit, really, to from like the age of ten to twenty-two or whatever. That's probably the hardest bit. I mean, that's the bit where most players get kind of filtered out of the system, isn't it? Once you're at Leon and playing in the Champions League, you're kind of there. Listen, of course, um, this we were talking about the possibility in less than eight weeks' time now of what can happen in January, and we will be devoting plenty of time in, in upcoming podcasts. We'll be speculating on what it is that Spurs do need and what they can get in to improve their already much improved team. Before you get back to this athletic podcast, did you know it's just one of many made by The Athletic every week? I'm Abby Patterson, senior producer here at The Athletic, and I get to work across so many of our shows. But even I have my favourites. Sometimes you're just too busy for a full-length podcast. I get it. We've all been there. Well, we've got a show to help you. Get up to speed with all the football stories you need to know about with our daily football briefing. It's done and dusted. Saudi Arabia will host the 2034 World Cup. Got a bug for the women's game? Then full-time Europe is for you. It's our dedicated women's football podcast answering the questions you're asking from the WSL and Champions League. So what's going wrong at Arsenal? But perhaps you want to know exactly how a team has set itself up. 
Then come to the audio whiteboard and join Michael Cox and our analytics gurus as they dissect and examine the game like nobody else can. That's on the Athletic Football Tactics podcast. I don't think I've ever seen a striker who reads the game so well. Just search The Athletic wherever you're listening to this podcast now and you'll find your next podcast obsession in no time at all. Now, let's get back to your show. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 US-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. This episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra, the official beer sponsor of the NBA. Want to get closer to the game than ever before? Michelob Ultra Courtside is giving fans the chance to win exclusive NBA prizes and experiences like official gear, courtside seats to an NBA game, and more. Head over to MichelobUltra.com courtside to learn more. Looking for the best place to buy tickets for any of your favorite teams or sporting events? We've got the spot. Our partner, StubHub, has been the leading ticket marketplace in the world for over 20 years, providing a 100% guarantee with every order. From a worldwide selection of live events, the widest choice of tickets and industry-leading partnerships, StubHub has what you need to purchase with confidence. StubHub, an official partner of The Athletic. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Yeah, welcome back to The View from the Lane. I'm Danny Kelly. With me the, today are Charlie Eccleshare, uh, Jack Pitbrook, and James Moore. A um, couple of things uh, to uh, just to bring you before we get back into it. Um, Harry Kane last night, um, he, he was on the bench for Bayern Munich as they crashed out of the German um, FA Cup, the Pokal, uh, with a 2-1 away defeat at Saarbrücken. Yeah, Saarbrücken, third-level team. So I guess without any side or glee, I have to say, um, Harry's quest for a trophy continues, shall we say, no stronger than that. Also in the last week or so, and I forgot, it's my fault, I should have said this uh, perhaps seven days ago, um, Britain has lost its greatest ever sports photographer. Jerry Cranham um, is the, the father and godfather of modern sports photography. Um, I wouldn't say he was a chum or anything like that, but through my friend Hugh McElvaney, I did get to spend several nights in pubs with Jerry. Amazing guy. Um, who just transformed British sports photography. He wasn't a Spurs fan, and this is the reason why I mentioned him now, but he did tell me he had a special place um, in his heart for Spurs because he was making his way as a young photographer when Spurs' double team and beyond were doing their thing in the 60s. The first picture that reached international renown that Jerry took was a picture of the Spurs goalkeeper John Hollowbred in a game in the fog against Chelsea at the lane um, in 1964, Hollowbred with the ball at the other end was trying to keep himself fit and was jumping up in the air, keep himself warm rather, jumping up in the air. The picture went around the world. 
He also was on the pitch before and after the World Cup final in Wembley in 1966. He was the person who took the picture of Jimmy Greaves not celebrating England's victory. So sad was he that he hadn't been in the team. Throughout the 70s, 80s and 90s, he took many of the pictures, particularly of Muhammad Ali that you'll remember, and latterly spent all his time taking amazing pictures of horse racing, which was his big love. He lived to be a right brave, nearly 100, Jerry. Um, a life well spent and with spurs at the centre. Just go online and look up his pictures. You'll, you'll, you'll recognise 70% of them. Now, I talk about Harry Kane um, and, uh, and Cups. Um, this was a question uh, on, that came to us via Twitter. Um, Dan Macklin says, Now the dust has settled on Harry's departure to Bayern Munich in the summer, I'm wondering what I should do with my much-used Harry Kane mug. Should I, A, continue to use it each morning, um, given that Harry's a goal-scoring legend for the club, B, move it to the back of the kitchen cupboard, C, ceremonially throw it to the ground from the top of the highest public, public multi-storey car park that I can recall. Harry who, he says, um, thanking you in advance. Um, what should he do, James, with this Harry Kane mug? Well, yeah, it's an interesting question because I actually have this, and this isn't really going to be great for a podcast, I appreciate, because this is going to be a very visual one I'm about to do. But I have a signed picture of Harry Kane from uh, when I interviewed him for 442 in 2015. And it ha it's so niche. It has number 18. He's put his squad number on it. It was 18. Hashtag Coys. Uh, so I still have this up in my uh, on the wall in my flat. So uh, actually, I, I would like you three to answer the question, and I'll I'll do the same. Although I'm not actually going to smash it, I might take it down. <laughs> what should happen with the hurricane mug? Keep it. Yeah, definitely keep it. Definitely keep it. You'd feel sad if you didn't have it anymore. It's a memento. So our advice to you, James, off the back of the question uh, from our friend here, is keep the Harry Kane photograph. And of course, you know, he's going to play till he's 40 and he'll be back soon, won't he? Talking then of returnees, we must move on to the thorny subject of the game coming up against Chelsea. There's no point in messing about. Chelsea are Spurs' bogey team. I dread this game much more than I dread the Arsenal game. And this is now given added spice, um, dynamite, if you like, by the return of Maurizio Pochettino. Um, the current Chelsea manager was speaking about loyalty to Tottenham and how he would find it impossible, say, to manage Arsenal back in the day. Let's hear what he had to say. I think I don't need to, to speak too much. It's like if one day Daniel Levy, Levy sacked me in a few years, uh, for me it will be impossible to manage, to manage Arsenal. I think in football, sometimes I know that it's so difficult to keep the values and, and to be loyal you know, with your heart, with your emotion. But for me, before uh, be manager, before be player, be loyal is, is more important, to be honest. And I am um, a Spanish fan. I love Espanol. And it's like now Tottenham, for me, it will be impossible one day uh, to move uh, to Arsenal. Uh, it will be impossible. Espanol manager wouldn't manage uh, Barcelona didn't want to manage Spurs' local rivals. James, I'm going to, I'm going to open this up to you because I think um, looking at the screen, I know that you're the person who is bleeding most profusely about this. Well, yeah. I, I mean, it is odd because in the period that Pochettino was Spurs' manager, Chelsea were probably a, a, kind of more of a direct rival in terms of like the magnitude of the matches than Arsenal. And I know, you know, we talk about that 
derby in what like February 2015 where Kane scored the two goals and that being a really significant moment but the games against Chelsea were you know it, it was Chelsea that quote unquote stopped Spurs winning the league in 2016 and then it was Chelsea in 2017 who beat Spurs for the title you could argue the toss over whether or not there actually was a proper title race that season but you know they were the team that stopped them um uh, or, or, you know, uh, uh, League Cup final in 2015, FA Cup semi-final in 2017, like a lot of big games, you know, the away game at Chelsea in 2018, where Daly scored twice, kind of felt like one of the one of the big moments, maybe even the last big moment, like domestically for Pochettino Spurs. That Wembley game in 2018, a few months after. Yeah, yeah right. exactly. Yeah. You know, so many of the kind of key, big, like, kind of marquee moments, good and bad, were Spurs-Chelsea in that time. So, so that to me almost feels like a more of a strange leap to go to Chelsea than it would do to go to Arsenal. I'm not suggesting you know people would accept him going to Arsenal, but it doesn't feel like you know if that's really his stance, then he shouldn't have gone to Chelsea either. Like, and I know, like, uh, you know, he left Spurs in what November 2019, and for whatever reason, was on the job market for ages across like the the time between leaving Spurs and going to Chelsea. You know, he knows that PSG in the middle, and that didn't really work out. But he was, you know. A lot of those jobs came up at the big clubs, Madrid, Barcelona, Juventus, Manchester United, maybe twice where he was out of work. Like, yeah, like, you know, he missed out on those jobs so often or didn't get them or didn't go for them or whatever. So I do understand, like, he was going to have to go somewhere eventually. I think the idea that he's ultimately chosen to go to the club that Spurs probably had the fiercest rivalry with during his time in charge. Seems, it seems like the kind of biggest slap in the face, really. Will you be booing him? This is interesting because I, I think we talked about this in the summer and I said he would get booed and people people should boo him. It's kind of panto, right? But actually, when you think about the practicalities of booing an opposition manager, it's quite difficult. <laughs> they don't touch the ball. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Unless he does one of those flicks on the sideline. Then, yeah, fine. All hell will break loose. But I can't really see uh, did you when he comes out of a tunnel. And normally when the manager comes out of the tunnel, it's kind of around the same time as like, substitutes and maybe even opposition like players and coaching staff and whatever so like yeah like maybe there'll be a moment where he does something and he's he's visible and he's central and it can happen but like I don't I don't really see there being a kind of moment of it's not like Sol Campbell walking out into the picture while Hallane for the first time as an Arsenal player say do you feel as well that James that that now like Obviously, if, if Chelsea were going into this game 11 points clear of Spurs rather than the other way around, then obviously there's more of a like, you bastard, I can't believe you've done this. Do you not feel now there's a bit like, we're we're okay, we're, we're, we're kind of over this a bit? And yeah. to boo him would be a bit of a regressive step? If Spurs were, as I feared when Kane went, if Spurs were 14th now... Um, but I, I must admit, I, I've got no bad feelings to Pochettino. He, he did amazing things at Spurs. And they didn't want him After this the summer. defeat against Bayern Munich, it was clear that the, the team and he had reached a moment when he had to go. Um, and while I would have been perfectly happy for him to come back, it turns out that, you know, the solution that was arrived at by hook or by crook um, uh, it has worked out beautifully so far. Though it is important they don't lose this game. You don't want the progress, as James pointed out, nearly every buffer Spurs have hit over the past five or six years has been involving Chelsea. Um, I don't want that to happen again. What do you think should happen, Jane? Uh, Jack, sorry? I don't know. It's, it's difficult for me to tell fans how to behave themselves or how to conduct themselves at a game. I can understand why lots of fans feel hurt by what's happened. Personally, I think it's 
it's asking a lot of Pochettino to ask him not to take the Chelsea job while in a world in which Tottenham haven't offered him the job which he which he was interested in, uh, given that you know he will want to work at the top level and there's only so many of those jobs going around and you kind of have to take the opportunities as they come along within reason. Um, I so yeah, I think it, I I think people of course people are going to be upset because football fans for, because football fans are football fans, but I don't think it's personally I don't think it's fair on Pochettino to hammer him for taking the Chelsea job. It is panto though, isn't it? Right, it is like you know, it, it is just kind of it is. Bit, panto. It's not like right, genuinely right. malicious. It is kind of comic, and the fact that. Chelsea are basically the fact that Chelsea have basically played like two blokes in a horse costume for the whole season sort of does make it actually a bit easier to kind of level up like that. Guaranteed, they won't play like that at Spurs at, at the weekend. And we were saying this about the game in February. Yeah, Spurs took four points off them last season. So yeah, this I'm not sure about this bogey team thing. I mean, and again, like everyone knows, I'm the arch pessimist, and it could easily happen. But I mean. I think Spurs have beaten Chelsea six times in the last six and a half years. And I know there were like there was that little run under Conte where they were like and there, there was a run I think where Spurs didn't score against Chelsea for like six games or something. But over the course of the last yeah, like six and a half years, Spurs have beaten them fairly regularly. So uh, yeah, I it's not quite what was it, thirty years or twenty five years or whatever it was that Spurs didn't beat Chelsea until two thousand and six. Maybe it must have been thirty. What about on the pitch? Um, you, you've cheered me up there, James, by by stopping me fearing Chelsea quite so much. They they've won a few games recently. Yeah, they're, they're weird. I mean, like they they. Ha- I think Cole Palmer's really really good. I'm sure Jack will know more about him than me. But I've been really impressed whenever I've seen him. I mean, look, I think everyone knows with Chelsea what their issue is. They don't take their chances. You know, their their underlying numbers are very good. They create lots of chances. They don't put them away. And I guess the fear every game for their opponents is shit is this going to be the game when it does click and actually they start you know uh kind of regressing or moving up to the mean and actually taking some of these chances um yeah i, th- I mean they've they've got a lot of injuries as well so i guess it slightly depends on you know someone like reese james who's just coming back i know danny we've spoken before about how good he is he's brilliant you know that midfield of caicedo enzo fernandez uh, and conor gallagher that is a lot of running power. You've got you've got to match that. That's where I think they are really strong. Um, but you know, Spurs should be able to deal with that. I, I think I'm really looking forward to. It. I think it's going to be a really good game. Who will start on the left side of uh, Spurs' attack? Uh, I think it will still be Richardson. But I wouldn't. But I wouldn't be surprised if Johnson came in. You know, I think he did. He did really well when he came on, and that's obviously the position where it hasn't clicked for Spurs just yet. So, yeah, marginally Richardson, but yeah, could, could well be Johnson. On the basis of results, the gap between the table, the gap between the teams is so big, but it feels like Chelsea, I mean, I know even, even with the Brentford loss, I feel like they're sort of slowly starting to head in the right direction. I mean, um, I'm sure that event, I'm sure they'll, they'll be fine eventually, particularly when Nkunku gets fit because they do need a, a proper centre forward. Rationally, you've made Tottenham favourites for this game, but I think it's, uh, I don't think it's going to be easy. Thank you very much indeed, James. Thank you very much indeed, Charlie. And extra special thanks uh, to Jack for uh, fitting us into what is, of course, a, a very important and, and, and busy schedule. Um, Jack, we'll see you in London for the live event for next week. Yeah. Um, we'll see the rest of you, of course, um, for the next podcast, which will be after the weekend, where hopefully... Um, We'll be celebrating yet another Spurs win as they maintain or extend their lead at the top of the Premier League table. 
that's how they roll. Um, just to remind you all that the show has its own official home these days on Twitter at VFTL Podcast, or you can email us at VFTL at theathletic.com. Um, but for all the best Spurs coverage anywhere, you should make sure that you actually sign up to The Athletic itself. Take advantage of our latest offer of just $1.99 a month for 12 months. Simply go to theathletic.com forward slash Spurs pod to subscribe. See you all again soon. Some of you in the flesh. Bless you all for now. The Athletic.